Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hey, peers. Any of you at a crossroads in your life right now? Or perhaps you're unsure of what direction to go in next? Or maybe you're worried that the direction you pick might end up being wrong. I hear you. The great unknown can be pretty darn scary. But this week's guest, Annie Rue, says that we should just accept that there are no guarantees in life and to start getting comfy with the unknown. Because that's exactly how Annie found the right direction and created Jack and Annie's, a company that pioneers meat alternatives from the world's largest tree-born fruit, the jackfruit. Annie joins the podcast today to chat about the first steps to take when you're just starting out as an entrepreneur and how to navigate the difficult decisions that arise from being one. She shares how to find purpose and clarity when you're faced with the unknown and reminds us that not knowing everything is actually A-OK. Before we dive in, peers, I just want to remind you to please share this episode. Take a screenshot right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that together we can share today's message and conversation with our peers out there who may just need to hear it. Okay, without further ado, welcome... Annie. Annie, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work that you're doing in the plant-based meat space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. I lead Jack and Annie's and the Jackfruit Company. 
so we have pioneered the leading supply chain R&D and brand for this amazing crop called jackfruit, which just the way it grows in nature has the texture of meat. And so with it, we're able to prepare foods that are just like beef, chicken, pork in how they eat, but are actually made first and foremost from a plant. Delicious, but also simple. Delicious, but simple. Yes, that's what we love to hear. (laughs) It's so cool, Annie, what you do. Oh my goodness, you're in such an interesting space. And I can't wait to dive deeper into your, I think it's almost 12 years now journey in kind of getting started. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted your life and your career so far? Great question. I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota, which is the hometown of the Mayo Clinic. And as a place is also one of the top 10 coldest places in the United States. <laughs> so growing up there, one third of the whole town is employed by the world's top rated medical facility. And so it's a very medical place. Um, I was planning on being a doctor. When I went to college, I took a class with Paul Farmer and Arthur Kleinman on global health. And there are millions of people dying every year from things that we have cures for. And I really refocused around global health. And it was that focus that led me to do some work in Latin America, which led me to work in India, where I first saw jackfruit. Growing up in Minnesota as well, with countless brutally cold winters and so many times where we were jokingly go get ice cream if it was above zero because that was warm, zero Fahrenheit, I would say that it also gave me some good resilience (laughs) for everything that would come later. Oh, we need some of that good resilience. It's so interesting, you know, take us back to Annie, the early years, you know, you said that the whole town, it was all medical and you were going to be a doctor, but you know, what did your parents do when you were growing up and kind of, were they in that field? And if so, how do you think that shaped you and kind of your view on what was possible? My parents are extremely dedicated, hardworking doctors. They are dedicated to doing all they can to make people's lives better in that way. I grew up just seeing that as the norm. I saw it as normal to work seven days a week all the time. I saw it as normal to be dedicating your life to trying to make the world a better place. And so that wasn't ever over the course of time something that I had to learn separately or pick up. I just saw that as normal. How do you think that shaped you in the early years? You know, sometimes I think when we see our parents working so hard, I had, you know, immigrant parents and just the work ethic was just another level. And I think for me personally, that instilled that level of drive. But at the same time, it almost had a negative effect where I would burn myself out like crazy, especially growing up with the pressure of school and all of that. And, you know, it's something I had to almost unlearn. Was that ever the case for you in terms of seeing what that work ethic and whatnot, how it plays out? And yeah, did you ever feel a level of pressure to perform at that level? I would say seeing all that growing up and being so immersed in that work ethic drove me to need to find a sense of purpose that was very strong and very clear for me. 
what I knew is that I didn't want to always be working all the time driven by a sense of not being enough or driven by a fake sense of, you know, I have to do this. I wanted it to be driven and sort of pulled forward by a desire to make a difference. How did it shape up for you when you got to college? When I got to college, I was still planning on going into medicine and I was trying to figure out what the right path for me was in medicine. And that was when I took that global health class and realized that's really where I wanted my medical focus to be. But it was when I was working on a health tech company that I'd started with my brother in India after having worked on prevention of mother-to-child transmission of HIV in Nicaragua that I just was sensing that poverty was the root cause problem of all the problems that I was trying to address. And I saw with Jackfruit an opportunity to address that root cause issue at scale because it's the world's highest yielding tree crop. It's drought resistant. I was thriving all over in farmers' backyards. And so it's basically added income that they would be able to access if we could build the supply chains and create the foods to really get this to market in a big way. I love asking these kind of questions because I feel like these are the things we want to know, right? We want to know the stuff about ourselves. You know, why do we do what we do? Why did we end up starting a company or why do we feel the need to quit our jobs and our career paths and go almost in another direction that can be really scary? For our peers out there listening who are perhaps where you were at when you were in college, you know, just kind of confused a little bit about how am I going to make the kind of impact I want to make? Or, you know, is what I'm doing now going to equate to something? Or, you know, am I being driven by the wrong things, like the need to prove myself? You know, for our peers out there listening who are perhaps going through that, whether it's at college or they're deep in their 30s or whatever it may be, what advice would you give to us around getting clear on what matters most to us and then having the courage to pursue that. In this process of finding a purpose to pull me forward rather than needing to feel kind of pushed from behind by, you know, negative feelings that whether that's, you know, not being enough or feeling like I need to be working all the time. I think it's also not that you emerge from one side to the other side all at once. Like I would say finding purpose and having that clarity was incredibly important and letting go of feelings of not being enough and letting go of feelings of, you know, I have to be working all the time was more of a gradual process. And then I would say, realistically, there was also a period of time where there was a sense of, I have something to prove because everyone around me told me whether it was direct or incredibly indirect, like this company wasn't going to work, whether it was the idea that was a bad idea or like as a first time founder or even as a young woman founder, right? So there was a desire as well to prove them wrong. And I think if you're building a company, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do, you want almost as much motivation with you as you can have. So is it really a bad thing to be motivated by those things? Not really, or at least not entirely. I just think that it's good to, at least at some point in your journey, like make sure that 
you're not allowing those motivators to make your life worse, right? I think there's so many different motivators that can drive us forward. And, you know, one could assess this motivator is a, a more valuable one than this other motivator. But like, if it's driving you forward to the things that you want to do, that'll make a positive difference, that'll help you to grow. It's okay to have multiple different motivators and that will probably evolve over time. But I think it's important to make sure that you have some awareness of what those things are and Hopefully they're not a bunch of motivators where you're really being too hard on yourself. When was the time where you were too hard on yourself? I would say in general, I tend to be too hard on myself, probably earlier today and yesterday. But I think as I was thinking on what kind of advice I would want to give like an earlier version of myself, I would say don't beat yourself up over the fact that you don't know everything right now because it is the one thing that is constant in building a company, especially in a day like today where things change so quickly, the market changes quickly, consumer preferences change quickly, competitors and the competitive landscape changes quickly. You know, what's possible for us to do changes quickly. I think the one thing that's constant is that you constantly need to be learning and adapting. And so embracing that reality is healthy and Again, thinking back to where I was when I started this, I had, I don't know if guilt is the right word, but definitely concern about feeling like I didn't know everything that I needed to know in order to do this as well as I wanted to. And I think, you know, whatever all those sentiments were, the reality to the fact that I didn't know everything that would be helpful to know. But I think some of the negative sentiments that I had about that, I didn't need to be as hard on myself. I so resonate with that. And I think, especially when we're just starting out and we have this seed of an idea that we genuinely believe so much in, it's almost during that time that we can be the most hard on ourselves because we don't know anything. And we almost feel like we should when we're starting, which is so kind of counterintuitive, but it's, it's often what happens. You know, I want to dive a bit deeper into making the transition from medicine or your, you know, I think you were at school at the time, to actually going like full-time into your business and quitting. I think this is something that so many of our peers out there listening will resonate with, those that perhaps have gone down the path of something a bit more traditional and then thought, ooh, actually, mm, is this for me? Take us back to that time and that decision to actually quit medical school to build your business. I started the company when I was in college. So I started it as a pre-med student between my sophomore and junior years. And I am actually a risk-averse person. (laughs) I'm quite risk-averse, analytical as well. So I can weigh all the factors. And if the risk is worth it, then I'll do it. And I saw this is worth it. But frankly, I deeply valued this other career path that I've been working towards of actually going into global health and as a medical doctor. And the only way that I would let that dream go was to prove that it was impossible to pursue both at the same time, which is why I was running the company while at Harvard Medical School. It was not a very humane time for myself, just with very little sleep. But I that I wasn't at all willing to leave either behind. It was just that I had made this commitment that I was going to do whatever it would take to build this company because the impact that I saw that 
we'd be able to make was worth it. And I felt that if I was you know, still wanting to pursue the medical path, that once I had finished my work here, then that was something I could do later. For our peers out there listening who were like, wow, that's pretty massive that, you know, you made that commitment to yourself and then you went off and did your business and your startup versus, you know, continuing on that traditional path. You know, for our peers out there listening who are maybe grappling with something like that, a big life decision that almost they're getting pulled in two directions and they don't know what is going to be the right decision or you know, what the consequences are going to be if, for example, the company doesn't work out or the startup doesn't work and all that stuff. What advice would you give to us about navigating through that decision? I would make a list personally. <laughs> Part of how I address these things. <laughs> I love a good list. The company, this idea that you're trying to bring into the world of course it might not work. Like there's no guarantee that it's going to work, but it's being real with yourself about what am I willing to commit to make this work? And what will I have gained from this if it doesn't work? I think one of the big things about starting to build a company and investing to make an idea a reality is that there are so many things that you learn in that process of creating something and it's when and where would it ever not be helpful to bring an idea to life. You know, whatever career path you may embark on later. Part of the reason that I was really passionate about global health and like I was specifically passionate about global health delivery, like getting the best solutions we already have to people who don't have access to them today is because I feel like there are so many incredibly smart people across, you know, medicine and healthcare, but the systems that exist don't always reward the implementation of solutions, rewards the discoveries of new information and figuring out new answers, but who's going to take those answers and put them to work to changing people's lives. And there's this, aspect of entrepreneurship and, you know, making an idea real, which is the goal of hard knocks training of how do you take an idea and make it make a difference for people. And I don't know any life in which that wouldn't be valuable. What were the first few steps that you took to make your idea a reality? The first step I think was to put together a business plan and Yes, I just Google search what a business plan is supposed to look like. <laughs> but depending on which version you're looking at, it can seem intimidating. So just start with an outline, right? But you start with an outline and you move to your business plan and have that together. And it's just a good way to organize thoughts and ideas and doesn't have to be perfect from the beginning. In fact, one thing you know is that it's not perfect. So, but have that together. And then I would say, yeah, thinking back on, the most important early milestones too was finding some expert advisors. That was something that kind of happened gradually because starting this company in undergrad and having been so much in the medical space, I really didn't have 
contacts in the food industry. And so it was generally me, myself, and Google. And I remember once I had made enough progress to start to get some attention, whether that was like fellowship programs or winning business plan competitions, then I started being able to get connected to experts in the industry. And that, you know, 10x accelerated this dialogue I was having with Google. (laughs) Oh, Annie, what a chat. What a convo. I'm absolutely loving this. I do have a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? I was kind of hoping to not have the the greatest and worst questions because <laughs> it's been so long. There have been so many extreme highs and so many extreme lows. It's really hard to pick. Worst low, at least one of the worst lows that comes to mind was, I remember after years and years of developing a supply chain and developing our first lineup of items. And I'd been to India at that time, probably 10 times, which seemed absurd, although now I've been there 35 times and having done various iterations on the brand. And it was a one-person company at that point too. So it was like all of these things on my own to get to this like minimum viable product. And we had you know, one of the best retailers in the nation that had accepted this product, this brand, and we failed to deliver. I had to very deeply apologize that we couldn't do it and they needed to put something else on shelf. And it was just devastating to have put all of that work into this and then feel like the one door that we had to go through for sure in order to build this company and build this brand, we had just closed because with how little I knew about the industry at the time, one of the things I knew was that if you did that to a retailer, like don't expect to ever build a relationship with them. And The funny thing is that that same retailer was the first one who launched us when we were ready. Wow. There's so much I could speak on to that. I just think that is just so valuable. Sometimes when we think the door is closed, it's actually not. It's just not the right time. And your greatest win? Greatest win was, well, the one that I can easily choose to speak about because it's relatively recent still, actually. During the pandemic, during this time of darkness for the world, for humanity, we created Jack and Annie's. And it was you know, several years into the course of pioneering the jackfruit supply chains, the products, the brands, and trying to create awareness of this crop that no one had ever heard of. And, you know, we decided to do something extremely bold and launch something entirely new. And Jack and Annie's has not only met our expectations, but it's far exceeded them. Like it as a brand and the foods that we've been able to develop are just so delicious and really deliver on the benefits of plants and are loved by consumers and customers. And it was like creating a company all over again, in a way, like using everything that we 
had learned. And so just like creating any new thing, it could have easily failed, but it's been able to become a leader in this plant-based movement, like actually quite quickly. And that's been a huge win that we're really grateful for. Massive. So exciting. Oh my goodness. Gives me all the feels. Look, Annie, over the last 11 and a half, almost 12 years since starting your company, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work in amongst all the learnings. And most recently, you were featured by the BBC. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I would say know that you will need to constantly learn and adapt. I would say also know that your passion and your commitment about your idea are unique and don't be bashful about that and don't feel like it's unwarranted just because other people don't share that same passion or don't feel like it's not as great of an idea as you think it is just because somebody hasn't done it yet. I think that there's so many things that need to happen to move our world forward that are just waiting for someone with the passion, that conviction and drive to take that idea and move all of us forward with them. And I would say to be realistic with your planning in that you're going to want to take in all of the advice that you can get because building anything is really, really difficult. And I think that like the more that you can surround yourself with advisors who can give you the pieces of information that you need in order to build the right plan, the better off you'll be, right? I think that so often when anyone's trying to build a new company, there's just an absence of the expertise, the prior experience to know how to build that venture. And so it's trying to get the information as much as you can to put together the right plan will give you the best chance of success. Such valuable advice. Look, Annie, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, in particularly us, ambitious, young women of colour, that if we have this vision, this goal, this dream, this purpose, we actually can turn it into reality, although it may be really difficult and it may take years, it may take a decade, we can get there in the end. And so for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for hosting, Michelle, and for all the great questions. Always. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of pursuing what you're most passionate about is having a bright light and a tremendous amount of energy with which you start, run, and finish every day, regardless of the challenges. Ah, I 
I love it. Annie, thank you so much. It has been absolutely awesome to chat with you. Where can we learn more about you and Jack and Annie's? Definitely check out our website, jackandannie's.com. Store locator, find a store near you where you can buy our foods. <laughs> we are also active on social media, Instagram, Facebook, but also connect with me on LinkedIn. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.